Hi, my name is Zev Bennett. You're watching the Asode Blocks channel. If you want to get this exact same content in audio form, head over to the podcast area in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play, and you can get the same thing there. Feel free to check out all the other content we have over there as well, and the other videos in this channel. Lots of very interesting things. We try to do inspirational, really the wrong word, uh, transformational and foundational Torah. I don't like the word inspirational because inspiration is usually a short-term concept, which is actually going to be very related to what we're going to talk about in this particular video. What I want to talk about here is a concept that's kind of uh, well-known, and that's really, not, I shouldn't say even a concept yet, a concept inside of a story. And so this is going to be partially analyzing a small part of the Chumash. Uh, I like to also do Chumash analysis in general because a lot of things that are just sort of buried inside the text of the Chumash, the Chumash means the Bible, the Torah, and so there's a very famous story inside of the Chumash. It's a story we call the Exodus, the leaving from Egypt of the family of Israel, B'nai Israel. So that's the Jewish people today. And so basically the way that story unfolds is that famously, again, people usually have heard of this, even if you're not Jewish, or even if you don't know the Bible, it's one of these stories that got very, very wi widely known, a lot of coverage. And so the way it kind of works is that Hashem, uh, the source of all being, the self behind all selves, essentially interferes directly with the story of, of the world and of life and takes out this family who's being abused and essentially uh, uh, oppressed by the people of Egypt at the time. So, you know, we're going back 3,000 years over here with this story. And then basically uh, he, he interferes directly, does all these kinds of very intense uh, manipulations of the natural world to cause things to happen, to reveal that he's the one self behind all being, and then takes these people out of that oppressed context. That's what the Exodus is all about. So inside of that story, there's this battle that takes place between but we'll call it, we'll, we'll use the word Hashem for now, between Hashem and the king of the Egyptians. The king is known as Paro, uh, in English usually called Pharaoh. And so Paro is in this constant, um, this essentially, it's Hashem versus Paro throughout the story. And actually the story really revolves around Paro much more, much more than we would tend to think. The story you would think at the first glance that it's really about Hashem taking these people out of Egypt. But the thing is that if that was really what the story was about, then Hashem would just go and do that. Hashem does not do that. He goes through a series of stages in which he basically increases the, uh, almost like incre increases the, the expression and revelation of his complete control of all of nature and all of the elements and aspects in, with, with, a, very high, with a, a completely high level, a complete level of precision in terms of that, that level of control uh, over all the elements of nature and really all the elements of existence. And so if you kind of follow through the different events that take place, there are these 10 different very intense events that we call in English plagues. These are not useful words, but you know we're not here to analyze the story in depth too far right now. I wanna sort of zoom in on one part, but there are these 10 phases, 10 plagues, 10 events that take place, and they are increasing in terms of their precision and their uh, impact, and they're designed to sort of undo 10 layers of damage that exist in the world. And so Hashem is kind of like, recreating a certain set of perspectives and ideas about how reality functions through these 10 events. So throughout that story, as it's unfolding, you have this character, Paro, and Paro is constantly uh, resisting. And, and so and Hashem is kind of using these 10 events to sort of increase the pressure on Paro over time. And so the thing about the story is that the way we're, the way we're usually sort of taught it, at least in Jewish contexts and also in a lot of philosophy context is there's a sort of idea that that the text actually says that Hashem's going to um, do something to Paro that's going to make it difficult for him to actually do what Hashem wants. And the way it's usually described is that Hashem takes away Paro's free will and prevents him from actually making the decision to allow the people of Israel to actually leave Egypt. 
And so Hashem kind of interferes with his ability to make decisions, takes away his free will. And then as a result of that, so it takes 10 plagues, 10 events to actually help this story finish. And then after those 10 plagues happen, only then does Hashem actually allow Paro to release these people. The thing about that, that way of describing it, though, is that if you actually read the text, it doesn't really sound like that's really what's happening. See, the thing is, when you describe this as a loss of free will, then there's, there's really two problems here. One is that the text itself does not really seem to indicate that Paro lost any of his free will. But you know, we're going to even leave that for the second point, because let's go to the bigger problem here. What exactly does that even mean? In other words, like, where, what, what, like if we had to define what free will was and then how you could lose it, so what exactly would that look like? And I'm going to argue to you that it would not look like this. What's happening in this story is, is does not seem like a loss of free will. So in Torah structures in general, free will, usually the way it's structured is that their free will is directly linked to the self. To the degree that there is a self, so to the, and there is self-awareness, there is going to be free will in proportion to that. So the, the sense of the, the existence of Paro as a self does not seem to have at any point been, been lost. Paro remains Paro. He's still an operating person in the story, and he acts that way very often. But, and, and, and beyond that, the, going back to the, the first point, the text does not ever say that Hashem take, takes away Paro's free will. It uses a very specific set of terminologies to tell you what Hashem is doing. It says that Hashem is going to be makshe et lev Paro. And to be makshet lev paro, those words, makshet means to harden, lev paro means the heart of paro. And then you have to sort of start thinking, okay, so the text, and it says it repeatedly, by the way, it's not only one time, that Hashem is going to harden paro's heart. And then it uses other terms later, like it says, to make paro's heart stubborn. And then it uses a term that it literally means to make paro's heart heavy. And then it says a term like, we're going to strengthen paro's heart to make paro's heart stronger. And these are terminologies that are used, but the focus throughout the story is really on the lave of Paro, the heart of Paro. And there's not really a discussion in the text anywhere about Paro's ability to choose between different options and exercise that choice. Instead, it focuses on his lave exclusively. And the question we have to ask then is, well, instead of kind of in a generic or vague way talk about that this somehow means the loss of Paro's free will, the word lave that is a specific entity, specific specific item, and we don't refer to it, or we don't we don't relate to it from a place of precision and deep understanding. Then we're kind of missing a lot of the puzzle pieces here of what's going on in the story. And so we can kind of almost like cavalierly, haphazardly say, "Well, he just lost his free will." But I personally always just found it to be very misleading, and it really it it, it leads to um, to weak thinking and 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 weak analysis because we're not really understanding what's being written here and what's actually unfolding in the story. And the principles that are really operating here, I think, are both uh, very specific and they're also, they're universal. In other words, these are principles that when you see them at work and you understand what's happening, you can understand how you operate much more carefully. And that really can give you a lot of power to get better at operating this whole thing that you're using to manifest your consciousness into existence. So let's try to delve into that a little carefully here. So the question really is to sort of sharpen it, like what exactly is this thing called the lave, what we call the heart? And it's a funny thing because, you know, we talk about the heart all the time, you know, good heartedness and um, we love people with our all our hearts. And But what exactly is the heart? Because the heart itself is that, you know, biologically is just an organ. So it's, it, you know, and, it, and it's, it's contracting and it's doing all kinds of very important things inside the body, but we don't seem to really mean that we're using our contracting muscle organ that pumps blood to every part of the body 
as the we don't really we're not really referring to that when we say statements like this that you know I'm hardening my heart. So I want to sort of draw your attention to two uh, core ideas here that I think we're going to use to ex explain this and understand it. So the first really comes uh, it comes from the Torah, but I want to sort of use a, a, a different book that I found just a very useful way of describing this. Uh, there's a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So this book, written by a guy named Dr. Stephen Covey, where he outlines, and there's a lot of other books that you can, he actually bases it on a lot of research, and you can see this on your own other ways, but essentially he has a structure of how we work emotionally. And so we have to talk a little bit about what that is. Like, what, is it, what are emotions and how do they work? So the, essentially the structure works like this. You actually perceive reality in ways that sometimes diverge and differ from the objective truth of those realities. In other words, you can see someone in a way that's actually different than the way they genuinely are. And so it's, it's, it's not that you're believing a lie, it's not just accidentally. You can have a situation where you, where you develop a perspective of somebody else, a perception that is distorted from who they are. And as a result of that, depending on the perception that you have of someone or of something, you will have responsive or, re or resulting emotional states that essentially come out of those perceptions. So as an example, if you see your house burning down, so the objective fact is that right now your house objectively is operating as a combustible fuel source for energy that we call, that we that is visible, that we call fire. That's the objective fact. No matter, every house that's burning down, that's what's happening. But what it actually means to you will depend on the particular perception that you overlay on top of the objective experience, the, the objective facts that you're, that you're encountering right in front of you. So let's say you have a house that's burning down and you have no insurance on that house, then you will perceive that as a tremendous loss in terms of your financial state and net worth. And now you might experience an emotional response that is very negative and very harsh and just a very a set of bad feelings because you're basically, you're, you're, you're losing such a huge amount of your, of your net worth of your money. And then conversely, if you have a house that, let's say the market had just tanked in the housing market and you have an insurance policy that's very high on your house and your house burns down, so now you end up making double the amount of money that you, you know, the, the house is actually worth in market value right now, then this exact same event could lead to a very positive emotional outcome for you because you are now perceiving it vastly differently from the first example. And so the structure that, that operates here is that your emotional feelings that you have always... Uh, not, not just correlate to your perceptions. You could think of emotions as a way that we express our perceptions into the outside world. In other words, let's say you want to tell someone that you love them, that you care about them. So the actual love that you have for them is a perception. You perceive them as a part of you. When you love someone else, you have a perception that you and they share a self. Now, in order to get that across to them that you actually you want, to, you want to transmit that that perception, that closeness that you experience to them. So we have these things called emotions, where we essentially we we express that through through physiological uh, you know cues. So like whether it's you hugging them or you smiling or you getting excited when you see them, these are and sort of expressing that ex externally. You are essentially conveying through these emotional tools the actual underlying perception that you have of the other person. And so you'll find that it always works that way. Whatever emotional experiences you're having on the inside, which also get expressed onto the outside, but even if you just have them inside and don't share them, but whatever your emotional feelings are, they're always tethered and essentially reflective of 
particular perceptions that you have inside of you. And so that's how you're basically set up. So, and, and, and it always works that way. So it's an interesting thing because what you can do is if you feel something, so let's, let's say you have a random emotional response of some kind, you feel something emotionally and you don't really know why you're feeling it. So you can look at that feeling and you can actually sort of like track backwards into your mind and figure out how you're perceiving the situation, which would then logically lead to that kind of emotional response. So if you feel anxious about something, that means that something that about the way that you're perceiving the situation that you're in or something in your life is sort of leading to the sense of, of, of emotional anxiety. So you can dig underneath your anxiety to figure out what the perception is that you're that you're that you're using essentially and then you can even start to try to fiddle with that and sometimes you can learn how to change those kinds of perceptions which is really what therapy is therapy is an attempt to sort of access the underlying perceptions that we have and air them out and sometimes almost like take control of them so that we can start to control how we feel more actively instead of sort of letting our emotions just sort of operate on their own so that's the first principle here that we have to have, which is that the, the relationship between perceptions and emotions, these things essentially are linked and one reflects the other and they inter, they essentially interlock with each other very intensively. And so that's, that's a structural element that we have to just know about as phase one of this analysis. Okay. Phase two. So the phase two, essentially, um, it, it works like this. There's a, there, and this is really just building on phase one. This, this, this principle is built on that principle. So there is a line in one of the Midrash, there's a few places where this kind of concept shows up, but a, a really good one that I happen to love. In the Midrash and in the Talmud, it's a Talmudic source. This is 2,000 years ago. And essentially the line works like this. It says that tzaddikim libam birishusam, virishayim birishus libam. Okay, that's the line. What exactly does that line mean? Tzaddikim libam birishusam. So tzaddikim, usually translated as people who are righteous. I'm going to say it a little more clearly, what the word tzaddik means. We're not going to explain this too far now. A tzaddik means a person who is a realist, who understands with accuracy the reality that he or she inhabits. And so that's why the word tzaddik means to be tzaddik, means to be correct, to be right, to be accurate, which is what's funny. If you translate the word tzaddik as a righteous person, it's actually a literal translation. Righteous means you are right. You are a right person. So a tzaddik means a person who sees things as they are in a very truth oriented kind of way. And the line is tzaddikim libam birshusam. Their lave is inside of their space. In other words, you could think of that of the rishus means, the rishusam means like their context. So there's a tzaddik and he has a context that he sort of is using for his life. And then inside of there, one of the things that's in there is his lave. And, and then on the flip side, rishaim birshus libam. A rasha is in, he is actually inside of the context of his lave. In other words, this, uh, instead of him being, instead of his lave being inside of his context, he's in the context of his lave. His lave is the defining uh, borders of his being. So this is actually come, like it comes from uh, one of the textual bases for this is in Megillus Esther, the story of Esther, which is the Purim story. So in that story, there's a line where it says, Bayomer Haman Bilibo. Haman is the evil character in the story. He's the one who is a rasha. I have to explain what a rasha means in a second, but essentially it says, Bayomer Haman Bilibo. Haman says from inside of his lave. He's speaking from inside of his lave. And then he is, uh, he, he makes all kinds of really crazy, very almost to us laughably bad decisions, just terrible life decisions, the ways that, the ways that he behaves. And so a rasha is a person who simply 
uh, follows whatever impulses are kind of operating in his environment inside of himself, and he just goes with the flow. A tzaddik is a person who looks and reads the terrain and says, well, I know where I'm trying to get to, and I'm going to now cut my path to that destination by understanding the, the layout and the terrain that I am in. And a rush is a person who's stagnant, just kind of follows the flow, ebb and flow of life, and he just ends up wherever life sort of takes him, and depending on his context, that, that will lead to different things. So what does it mean to say that a tzaddik, the, his lave, is inside of his own context, and a rasha is the other way. A rasha operates inside of his lave. His lave is kind of like, that is his context. And so I want to argue to you that when we go back to our phase one principle, there are really two ways that, these, that this can be, uh, can be used. So when you said before, you have your perceptions, which is the way that you fundamentally see reality, your, your set of glasses that you use, the lens that you experience reality through, and then you have your emotions that essentially correlate or even are directly reflective of your perceptions. So there's two ways this could go. You could either deeply learn your perceptions, develop a lot of intense analytical self-awareness of how you see the world, why you see it that way, and then develop slow, proactive control of those perceptions to try to actually move them towards greater and greater and greater truth. And then as you do that, you'll start to actually feel emotions that are in harmony with truth and reality. So that's option one. An example of that would be, you know, if you've ever gone to a funeral, many people struggle with this problem. You go to a funeral and you don't feel sad. And you're like, well, I think I should feel sad because I'm at a funeral. And then you start to figure out, well, the reason why I, mean, I don't know the person so well, or even if I do, I still don't feel sad. Why don't I care about this? Why don't I feel sad? And that's because you're not really seeing this as an actual loss. If you saw the death of the person at the funeral as a, as a genuine loss, then you would feel a subsequent reflective set of emotions that express that. Now, it doesn't mean that in some part of yourself you don't, like, obviously you do care, but the question is that, you know, you're, right now the perception that you're wearing, that you're using, that you're accessing, is simply not in harmony with the reality. The reality is that when this person died, now there's a hole in the world. Whenever somebody dies in the world, there's a hole. And so you, you're just not seeing it that way. Your perception is not in harmony with the truth right now. And you have to learn how to take off that false perception and, take a, and, and develop the true one and wear it so that way you can see things as they are. And then as you learn to do that more and more, you'll be able to actually experience emotions that you should experience given the context almost at will, like on purpose. So that's essentially what a tzaddik does. And so that's that in that situation, the emotions of the tzaddik are essentially under his control in a certain way. In other words, he's he's analyzing and trying to proactively develop perceptions of reality that are more and more and more accurate. And then he'll have emotions that are a reflection of that as a byproduct of that of that developing clarity and truth orientation. So, and again, we all have distorted perceptions. We wear them all the time by accident. We don't realize when we're doing that. And then if we want to get better in our lives, we have to slowly learn what the truth is. You could be in a relationship where you think you're with a person who's a certain way, and that's what your belief is. And then really you're just blinding yourself to the ways that they are, or, the, or your own shortcomings. You might perceive yourself in certain ways that are simply untrue, and you're just, and you, and you do it in order to feel good about yourself, but you're not really facing your own problems or your own shortcomings, and you have to learn to see yourself more accurately. These are essentially issues that we all have. So that's one way. That's the way of the tzaddik is to develop the perceptual side. And then the emotion as a byproduct is like an automatic reflection where now emotions correlate to actual truth. On the flip side, so a stagnant way of being is basically the opposite of everything I just said, where this is a situation where instead of your perceptions being something which you're trying to develop and control, you actually let your perceptions follow after your emotional states. In other words, if you feel emotions, so ironically, your emotions emanate from your perceptions. 
But you, if you don't have self-awareness and you're not investing in learning about your perceptions, then what happens is you'll just have emotions down here. You, if you put your, you'll basically move your sense of self into your emotional space and you'll just be like, I feel really angry right now, or I feel love, or I feel you know happy, I feel upset. And you'll feel all these different feelings and you'll say, so what should I do now that I feel that? I, and you act on your emotions. You can, and then people who are like this are much more impulsive. They just, the things that they feel, they will just go and like, they'll just do things based on that. Well, if I feel love right now, maybe I'll just go and have, a, have an impulsive relationship fling or something or an affair. Or let's say I feel uh, very angry, so I'll just yell at somebody right now. But like later on, I might, you know, not feel angry anymore. And then either I, I, might, I might apologize, I might not. I'll say, this is just who I am. This is how I feel. And this is like this is like a roller coaster of feelings. And so what's going on there is that you have a bunch of perceptions, but you're not your sense of self is not in the perceptual space. It's down inside the emotional space. You're inside of your lave, inside of your feelings. And then what you're doing is you're basically letting that determine how you're going to behave. And that also creates a feedback loop where now the feelings that you that when you when you have when you feel a certain thing and you live that way on the outside, it will now further embed the perceptions that you have underlying those feelings. So they become more concrete more ossified, we'll call it more habituated. That's how habits essentially get more and more deeply embedded in your characters, because you're basically just living out whatever script you have in your perceptions without realizing you even have a script, and you're living in the emotional space, and you're thinking the thoughts and feeling the feelings that are essentially outgrowths of those perceptions, and then those things essentially create a feedback loop where now your perceptions become more and more deeply embedded. So when you do that, that's living inside of your lave. You're basically taking your lave, your feelings, you're putting them on top of your perceptions, and you're saying, that's gonna be the context that I will use to evaluate the world. And that's what it means to be a rasha in that sense, because you are stagnant and you're simply just following the, the path of least resistance. Just whatever I feel, I will go along with that. Now, of course, these are very black and white models. We all have some of each of these and we're constantly trying, we hopefully are constantly trying to deepen our proactive uh, awareness of our perceptions and slowly bring our emotions into a healthier expression of the truth of who we are and, and our relationships and our, and our lives. But the purpose of this model is essentially to show that that's a, a tzaddik versus a rasha. That's what happens is that you basically, a rasha means someone who's stagnant, who then essentially is following that path. And over time, just more and more, there's that feedback loop, which becomes more and more and more emphasized. And you just become more and more uh, used to just feeling that way and seeing the world that way. And then it becomes virtually impossible after a certain amount of reinforcement through those feedback loops to stop thinking that way and to actually see the lens that you're using and take it off. It's very, very hard to take off a lens that's like that when you've been living that way for so long. And that really brings us back to our actual point in terms of this concept of Paro and what exactly happened to him. What does it mean, Vani Akshe et Lev Paro? That Hashem says, I'm going to make Paro's heart, his Lev, is going to become hard. Well, here's the thing. So when you have a certain um, set of habits of emotions, so I'm sure everyone has felt this before, each of you out there, you know, in the camera land has actually um, felt this exact type of dynamic where you are blocked off from emotion, from emotional sharing or expression. Uh, and then and then at a certain point, something happens that breaks that open. So let's take an example. Let's say you're in a fight with somebody that you really care about. And like you basically, um, you've been fighting with them for, let's, let's say it's a while, a few weeks or something, and you haven't spoken to them in a while. And you're just really, you're just sure that you're right. And you just, you're like, no, like this is what it is. And like, I refuse to cave on this. And you're just stubbornly not allowing that to change. So what's happening? You have a perception of yourself and of them and the situation that's a certain perception and then you have a certain set of feelings that go with that and that's just where you're at and you're you're not allowing that to change and i'm not even discussing now whether that's good or bad or right or wrong i'm just describing the mechanics right now 
And then let's say at a certain point after a few weeks, so you go to, you know, let's say they call you and they say to you, um, you know, this happens very often between husbands and wives, not hopefully not that many weeks, but let's just say, you know, let's say she calls you up and she just says, you know, I just want to say, I'm just really sorry. And I just think this is, this is just really not, you know, it's, it's my fault. I shouldn't have said those things. And like, I really feel bad. And then what happens? Suddenly inside of you, you feel almost like this, this wall, which suddenly breaks open and all the feelings of like, of love and forgiveness and caring kind of like come rushing out like and you're like you, you you essentially you let it go inside of you and you say no it's okay like I also wish that it wouldn't have happened and I'm sorry and that's essentially where like you you now switched from the from the perceptions of where you viewed her as like an adversary where there was just you know she's just wrong and she's dumb and she's crazy and whatever and then you switch it over to suddenly like no like this is this is her and like I I want her and I love her and like you know we're still together in every way and like I just you know we had a problem and it wasn't a good way of being and, and there's this this release of this you know almost like this cluster of bad feelings that you have like right here and so that's what the lave refers to the lave is the feelings that you have over here which you this is that's where that for some and again I'm not going to try to analyze the physiology right now but for some reason we feel it right here in our chest for those who are listening on the audio like it's in our chest area and just like the sudden freeing and release of those feelings that have been locked away as we've been in this particular perception space and now when she says those things it changes the perception and it's like now I just I, I don't see you as an adversary and I just want to let it all go and that's what opens that door so the phrase refers to Hashem. what Hashem is saying is human beings have the ability to put up a wall in their heart in other words they are capable of latching on to a certain perception hanging on to it very intensely then ex and, and and having those feelings that are associated with that perception sort of operate in a certain way and they're they can close themselves off from changing those feelings and opening the door of feelings and essentially perceptions to see the situation differently. You are capable of doing that. The way that we do that is the second, is the Russia way that I mentioned earlier. The way that a Russia operates with feelings is what you do is you basically have a certain idea about somebody and then you just follow through on that and you feel you feel closed off to them. You feel like this is what it is and I'm gonna stick to my guns and I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand my ground and here's what it is. And you do that in a very intense way. And that's essentially being hardening your heart means your your makshe your lave it means you are essentially making this barrier now between you and the other person perception wise viewing them in terms of your perception as an adversary with the associated feelings of distance and of pen, like sort of like holding in and restraining yourself from caring about them and empathizing with them and so that's really what's happening here in other words we have this capacity to either um, hold ourselves back from somebody emotionally as a function of a perception of distance or you have the ability to reach out to somebody as and view yourself as sort of part of them and connect to them. We call empathizing with somebody. Um, it's a, and emotionally, it's a, it's a sense of just like love and, and, and interest and, and wanting to be involved with them, which is based on a perception of empathy and connection and, and closeness. And those are really those are really two ways that you can operate emotionally towards other people. And there's a few other elements here that I'm not digging into, but just for our purposes right now to understand what happened with Paro. So what's happening here? Is that it's not that Hashem took away Paro's ability to make choices or something like that. What's happening is exactly there's a, there's a medrash that is quoted by a bunch of the different commentaries on the Chumash, which says essentially the point I'm making now. What, what, what happened was Hashem said, okay, Paro has operated for quite some time in a way that has very um, deeply created a wall inside of his lave, making it difficult for his sense of closeness and connection with these other human beings, making it very difficult for him to access that sense. 
And, you know, it starts when he, it, it doesn't start, but it, one of the ways he does it is, you know, he takes the babies, the male children of a lot of these people and literally throws them into the river and, and drowns them. I mean, like, that's going to do some damage to a person. If you do that, if you take somebody else's baby, God forbid, and you do that to, to that child, there is no way you're coming out of that without it impacting the structure of your emotional state. There is no human being that can go through that and not be impacted. And what it does is it creates, it, it hardens the barrier around your your lave and your ability to actually connect emotionally to somebody else, which is really more deeply a function of your perceptions. You now, in order to throw a baby into the river, you have to perceive that baby as if it's an object, which requires a perception that is intensely distant. And that that's, it's dehumanizing. So you perceive them as super distant, separate yourself from them, and then you lock off your emotions as an automatic byproduct of that perception, throw the baby into the river, and by doing that action of throwing the baby into the river, so now what you just did was you just took the emotional state and you did a behavior which reinforced it, thus ossifying and concretizing the perception that is underlying it. So it creates this, this feedback loop that we mentioned earlier, where you emotionally now concretize your perceptions. Your perceptions lead to subsequent even more expressions of the same type of behavior leads to more emotional attachment to that more emotional habituation and you even and then you perceive it that way even more you, you view them even more distantly and so that just keeps happening and power just does it again and again and again and the measure describes that what hashem says about paro is that he's giving him a lot of opportunities to try to come back from that cliff and sort of pull back and remember who he's who he is who these people are they're a family that he was close to or either him or his father and like they're they're i mean even if you don't like them to throw babies into the river is like very different than just saying like we have differences of opinion and he's just he's doubling down on these types of behaviors again and again and again and the measure says that the way that it works in human existence is that when you get to a certain point where you've just done that enough times then it becomes really really difficult to turn back and the measure says that's what it means when it says that Hashem is going to be makshah his slave. That it's in order for Paro to actually undo what he did. At a certain point, when you've actually, you know, it's one thing to yell at somebody and 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 express some, yourself to, towards them in a way that is distancing. But if you actually do something physical, like God forbid, killing somebody, there, you can't undo the damage that it does to yourself. Forget the fact that it does damage to them. Like it will sever a part of yourself, and to actually recreate that bridge requires a tremendous amount of internal tinkering and there's a whole recipe of how to do it but it requires a lot a lot a lot of things including a lot of a lot of suffering for you in order in order to recreate the ability to relate and connect to somebody else emotionally and underneath that perceptually after that kind of behavior you literally have to experience intense pain and suffering so you can learn to look at somebody else who experiences pain and loss and relate to them that's exactly what the measure here says it says Hashem said well when you get to a certain point like Paro did where you're so concretize inside of your own isolated shell so the only thing that can break that open is just repeated assaults on it and Hashem is trying to break it open and he says but I think but he says but Paro is at a point where he's done this so intensely he's going to keep following that track and as the 10 plagues escalate so Hashem says well there's only two two ways this could play out either it's going to crush Paro because these plagues are very brutal at a certain point or he's going to be able to stand up against them and then still continue on his path but to actually break through is going to be very, very difficult. And Paro shows at one point, after the seventh plague, Paro shows a little crack in his armor after the plague of hail, which we can talk about why that was, specifically that plague, but it's not really the point right now. And then after that, he closes it off. And it says that Paro, Paro again says, okay, like that little crack, forget it. I'm going to stick to my guns. No, I'm not going to relate. I'm not going to relate to them. I'm not going to connect to them. I'm not going to have any kind of sense of closeness with these people. And he just keeps on going and he just doesn't stop. And at that point, that's when Hashem switches over to the language 
in the eighth and ninth and tenth plague, and he says, "Yeah, now I'm just like I'm keeping him that way." And so there, so what that means is that Hashem has wired reality to work like that. When you continue down that path enough times, at a certain point, you are now the natural way of these things that you are now trapped in that space. You won't be able to see the exit anymore, and Hashem is now weighing down your heart. You can no longer change out of that space without a tremendous amount of whatever and you have to remember that's we're, ta- we're not talking about a random guy who just did random things we're talking about a mass murderer who did a tremendous amount of abusive horrifying uh you know actions against other human beings and to just climb back from that is just not a thing that you just do at the drop of a hat it's something which is it's it's wired it's woven into the existence of the human self and the the, the what we call the neshama how it how it intersects with the body and the emotional states and perceptual states there's it's not just something you just come back from so that's what this is referring to so i'll end with just one last example this this, this same principle operates in another place in the torah in parshas balak which is in sefer bamidbar and there it talks about the principle that's mentioned there in the Medrash is that means that on the path that a person wishes to go, that, that path sort of like he's led along that path. In other words, the world kind of like at some point will open and allow him to continue in the way that he wants to go. And what that really refers to is that there's a, there's a natural way of how we exist and operate in the world. When you commit yourself to a certain path, so the path will become your path. And you attach yourself to that path more and more and more intensely until it gets to a place where now it's very hard for you to separate yourself from that and you get embedded in your emotions like that and your lave develops a wall and that, that, that wall becomes a self-reinforcing cycle and your perceptions now become more and more concretized and embedded. And undoing that is like a super difficult thing to do. And so it's not that, that Hashem was just like, I'm just controlling Paro, he's my puppet. It's actually much more complex than that. It's that Paro made decisions to become a certain kind of person. And there are consequences to that. If you operate as a horrifyingly destructive person in the world, then the world will at some point respond and destroy you in return. And so there's no, there's no, it's not a question of mercy and like, well, it's really not nice that Hashem did that to him. It's not about that. It's that when there's that level of cold destruction being wrought by a particular person, then the reality that he's in is now going to reflect and react back. And there's natural consequences to those kinds of things. That's what we see in the story here. And it continues that way even till today. If you operate in a way that is very, very destructive, then yeah, there are laws and there's all kinds of responses. But you know, aside from the artificial laws that we put in place, you become a destroyed being when you become that, that harsh and that closed and that distant where there's no ability to connect and bridge your, your, your perceptions and then your feelings towards other people. You become essentially like a, a darkness in the world. And that's something which you can try to climb out of that pit but like you have to first be aware that you're even in there. And if you're in an, if you're in an emotional bubble where you're just following your feelings a lot and you're just acting based on the way that you feel, and you're not thinking and stepping back and saying, how do I fundamentally perceive person X, person Y, situation X, situation Y, and try to understand your own perceptions. If you're not going through that process, then you are essentially becoming more and more and more of a problem for the world around you. And that's something which is going to lead to a response at some point. A natural response will be, people will not want to connect to you. They will not be able to. They will not want to be near you. They will view you as a threat and a danger, and they will intuitively sense that you are a person who is almost not home in a certain way. You'll be like a caricature of a human being. And obviously that's a very extreme example for the average you know, person 
that we that most of us are but it's something which can happen in smaller ways to different people and you could have little pockets of this kind of darkness inside of you depending on what kinds of things you're doing in your life that are unhealthy and that are distorted in this way and so you can have you know hybrids where you have some tzaddik some russia element most of us are more like that and so to understand these mechanics can really help us to sort of start to locate the dark spots inside of our characters dig them out and try to see what the perceptions are that we're using under underneath those types of feelings and those senses that we have and then to sort of like begin to do therapy on them and try to heal them so i hope that was relatively clear that i think really uh, does a lot of good clar clarifying of what happened in the story here but even more it operates as a map for how our own lave and our own connection ability with other people really function so hope you enjoyed that looking forward to seeing you on the channel check out all the other videos and subscribe and like and all those things and i'll see you in the next video